Good morning. You may be seated. So, how do you help someone grow up? Maybe your answer would depend on whether you're speaking about somebody that you see needs some character development or whether uh, we're speaking about you. Or maybe there's nobody here that needs to grow and mature. There, You've already reached that level, pinnacle of maturity. This past Thursday, we had uh, our second pair of missionaries from Uganda land in Malawi. Uh, these are men that I've worked with for 15 years. They, We have been through trials... We've been through, uh, seen answers to prayer. We've traveled. We've. It it has been a road. It's been quite an experience. And so as they have reached Malawi, now they are the ones that are doing mission work. It's kind of a strange thing to be coordinating a mission or a ministry in another country done by other people, but. By God's grace, things are moving forward. Uh, I have been kind of pleased, you know, in a, a sadistic kind of way that uh, they have lost their luggage, the books haven't been printed, the money didn't reach there, they've been to the hospital twice, uh, the plane, w- the pilots went on strike, the plane flight was canceled. As I, <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm going, now they understand a little bit of what I've been through, just uh, the other side of it. Uh, after their flight was canceled, one of them said to me, we are more determined than ever to go and preach the gospel and fight the devil. <laughs> I, well, you guys are better than I am. So we, I, I remember watching them as we started ministry back in 2017. Uh, no, 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 before that, 2000, yeah, it goes back a long time, 2007. I, ha- I hesitate even saying it like that, it says something about age and all that too. When we started, they didn't even speak English, and now they are traveling to another country and teaching in English that's translated into Chichewa for the people in Malawi for a week. They'll be just living in that language. How do you grow? How do we grow? It's a process. And maturity comes through serving. Specifically, as we're going to grow in Christ, we're going to serve Christ. We are a part of a body. We're a part of a church, a family, the body of Christ. And in such... We have a season of life that is part of that nurturing, where we are being mentored and cared for, like maybe the infants and that type of a, if you're going to draw that picture, that analogy. And then there's another season where we're given responsibilities, but not fully ready to take everything on in ourselves. And then there's another season where you're in charge. You are the ones responsible. And that is the goal for those who are trusting in Christ, that we mature. So 
we are just coming to the end of uh, 2 Timothy as we continue in this, this sermon series, moving on to maturity. And we come to the end of 2 Timothy, and it is a unique, kind of a strange text a little bit. But it is uh, delightful, as I dig into it, to find God speaking to me through this text and, and see how it relates even to this past week and this experience that we have had with our friends in Malawi. And Paul is writing about his fellow workers, friends, that have, he has been working alongside of in the ministry. And it's his personal note to Timothy about all of these experiences and his ministry partners. So let's look at this text together. It comes from 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 18. So Paul writes, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that you would be speaking into our minds and our hearts, applying this to our lives, that we, like Paul and Timothy, can grow in you. That is our prayer, our desire, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's easy to coast. Downhill, put the car in, in neutral, just let it go. And we can do that. We can feel comfortable. We wish sometimes that life was easy and we could just... Ah, just relax. But Christ came to serve, not to be served. And he charged us, he commanded us, he commissioned us to do the same. So, maturity. We grow as we serve. And sometimes we're serving alone. Serving alone. Serving Jesus alone. And verse 10 talks about Demas deserted and gone to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Paul knew what it was like to be alone, to feel deserted, to feel empty. And serving Christ can be that way. <clears throat> if you have friends and family that... Uh, are not Christians, they're not going to understand 
anything about this. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why do you go to church on Sunday mornings instead of sleeping? Why do you give to the church or, or go on a mission trip? Or, and the list is long. People that they're not going to understand the Bible or Jesus or any of that unless he's in their heart. So there's a sense of disconnect. But even within ministry, serving can be lonely. Next week, next a week from tomorrow, I leave for Ethiopia. Uh, quite a special place to celebrate Thanksgiving. I don't expect they'll be having turkey or ham. Uh, Njira, but I can, I can enjoy that. I know one person there, the one that's invited us. But the point is not about us. It never is. We can make things so self-centered, so self-focused, that we miss the opportunities that are all around us. If we focus on how we feel or what we are doing, we're missing how other people are feeling or what God is doing, what he's challenging us, what he's calling us to. Because the goal is serving Christ. Regardless of who else is helping, regardless of whether there's other people packing boxes or not, you know, Christmas, Operation Christmas Child, maturity comes from putting our faith into practice. An infant cannot uh, help around the house. They try. It'll make a big mess. Or a toddler. Uh, it's, it's better if they don't make the meals. <laughs> we could go down the list. A grade school student doesn't have the income to pay the bills or the teenager doesn't have the resources to buy a house. As you grow, you take on responsibilities. And we understand that in life. And we need to understand that in the church. As a part of our, our vision path process, we're going through a set of questions and we're asking ourselves uh, these questions, the council, the staff. And so one of them was, what percent of the adults in your congregation are involved in adult education? And so, you really know. I mean, how do you even measure attendance? Well, we've got uh, attendance that we count, or we've got our, our new directory that we can count faces. We've got membership list. Well, roughly, our numbers are right around 311, 314 as far as those things are concerned. And then we counted those who are uh, part of the home groups and those who are part of Tuesday morning studies. And uh, we end up with about 76% of our congregation is involved in adult education. That's great. Praise the Lord for that. The next question is a bit more challenging. And we can study, we haven't even actually done the study of it yet, uh, but the question is, what percent of the church is serving? And that one we could ask publicly, but really it really ends up being a personal question. Where are you serving Christ? 
Maturity comes from serving. And the goal is not serving ourselves. The goal is serving Jesus. And then in uh, verses 11 and 11 to 13, Paul describes serving together with others. He describes Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him for he's useful. Tychicus, say that five times. I had to pull that up on the computer to find out how to pronounce that correctly. Uh, kind of a strange name. And then uh, he's talking to Timothy himself. Each of these guys have been a part of Paul's team. Not only them, but these are the ones that he's mentioning here at this moment. He highlights them. Each of them have a unique role that they are playing as far as God's kingdom. So Luke traveled with Paul. He was the one that wrote the book of uh, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. He himself is responsible for uh, 27%, almost a third of the New Testament. That's kind of impressive. He was a gifted historian, and he was a medical physician. And I think about all of the problems that Paul faced. He probably needed a personal physician. All of the beatings and stonings and etc., we need, we need to work alongside of people that are different from us. People that have gifts and talents that are unique. Second, he brings up Mark. Mark's an interesting guy in his repertoire of friends. Um, Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas have this big disagreement. Oh, Barnabas is Mr. Encourager. But they are so strong in their disagreement over the fact of, of over the uh, question about whether Mark should travel with them. Paul did not trust Mark, and Barnabas said, Yes, we're going to bring him. And so they split all over Mark. And now, here at the end of Paul's life, we don't know all of the things that went on in between, but we know that Paul realizes he needs Mark. He bring Mark, he's useful to me for ministry. And we need people that maybe we have a disagreement with. Maybe we don't understand them. And yet God has a purpose for them in our lives, in our work. And then you've got Tychicus listed. You know, interesting to me, he's listed in Acts, Ephesians, Colossians, Titus, and Timothy. He's a no-name kind of guy. You don't see any big announcement about him except that he is beloved and he is faithful and he is a servant. That is his hallmark for fame. And yet that's the character qualities that God desires in us. Faithfulness. Uh, being a servant. Jesus, in his parable of the talent, says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And then there's Timothy, who is like the son uh, to Paul. He had a, uh, a Jewish mother and a Greek father. We don't hear anything about his father, except that one small statement. And so Paul is like his dad, the one that is investing in him, caring for him, 
And at the end of Paul's life, the one that he wants to see the most is Timothy. We need all of our, those people that God brings into our lives. These guys, they had traveled together, they had been persecuted together, they had served Jesus together. And I tried to think of parallel, and I, I think of Veterans Day. Maybe there's a similarity there. Because those who have been in combat, they know who's got their back. They know who is working alongside of them. There is a band of brotherhood that lasts years after. Why? Because you're working together for the same cause. That's what it means to serve Jesus. We need to depend on one another's gifts, even if we have differences just quietly serving our Lord. We're part of the same family. We've got the same blood in our veins. It's the blood of Jesus that forgives us. Third is uh, serving Jesus through the pain, through the hurt. Paul describes Alexander, poor guy forever known as the one who does great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him. He strongly opposed our message. Is it surprising that serving is difficult? Probably not. Is it surprising that you're going to get hurt by people? I hope not. It's true. It'll happen. Jesus uh, warned us in himself. He said, well, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Or he also said, in this world you're going to face tribulation, but take heart. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> take heart. Yeah, I've overcome the world. It doesn't have any power. And Alexander probably was a believer. In First Timothy, Paul says that he had shipwrecked his faith. And so Paul handed him over to Satan to learn not to blasphemy. How about that? Wouldn't you just love that to be handed over to Satan? But the point wasn't his demise or destruction, but to restore him, to bring him back. You know, our temptation when we're hurt is to lash, lash out, respond in the same. Get even. At the very least, oppose the one that's hurt us. But Paul doesn't uh, even attempt to get even. He says, the Lord will repay him. He just tells Timothy, beware. He doesn't tell him to stop preaching. He just, he's going to oppose it. The message doesn't change. You know, there's an interesting thing also is that God uses the trials that we've gone through to allow us to serve Jesus. Yeah, think of the story of Alex in the video. Here's a man from Rwanda who is in the middle of the genocide and through that comes to faith, receives a Operation Christmas Child box, then ends up being the representative of Operation Christmas Child 
to the greater community and bringing, he travels and tells his story. But he can give you, through the trials, the hurts that you've faced, he can give you eyes to see others who are going through the same. He can give you a heart that understands, maybe when someone else doesn't. He can give you depth in your prayer life. He can give you an urgency to share Christ or a longing for heaven. This whole topic of Jesus serving Jesus through hurt. I mean, think about who it is we're talking about. Jesus knows what it means to be hurt. In fact, the hurt that he died for on the cross was yours. It was your sin that put him there. And on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. Fourth, serving Jesus with Jesus. That's kind of a strange way to say that. Look what Paul says, verse 17 and 18. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through the message might be fully proclaimed and all of the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. He will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Interesting that the one who is standing beside him is the one that he is serving. It's also interesting to think about in this short couple of verses, Paul describes three different rescues that Jesus is doing on his behalf. First, he's rescuing him from the lions. You know, that's imminent death. We know lions eat meat. And except, unless you're Daniel or Paul, and then they're hungry. Because the Lord is the one that determines the length of our days. It also describes he's rescued from every evil deed. When we're working for Christ, he is the one that rescues us from ourselves. Even our own evil deeds cannot uh, hinder his strength over whatever the situation is, whatever our failures are. And then last... Paul describes being rescued in death because the Lord has prepared a heavenly kingdom. It's got to be frustrating for somebody like Alexander who's trying to oppose the message and he can't find a way to do so. Well, Alexander, you can't kill me until the Lord allows uh, my past. That's already washed clean. And until I die, I'm going to serve Jesus because he's my brother. And uh, when I die, I'm already going to heaven, so. That's an encouraging message. When we serve, it's natural to think, what do I get out of this? Is there any encouragement? Is there any recognition? Is God going to be happy with me? Am I get a star, something? 
It's not what it's about. It's about growing in maturity. It's about, it's about serving Him. And He's the one that went to the cross alone on our behalf. He is the one that came to live with us. He's the one that gave us gifts. He's the one that chose us, made, his, made us His disciples, welcomed into His family, and uh, bore the pain of our hurt. Why? Why does He do all that? Because he wants to be with you that much. You know, the question I wrestle with and I wonder is, who am I going to be known for? Or who are we as a church going to be known to? Who are, how are you going to be known? How are people going to know you? And I pray that, that I can be known, that we as a church can be known for the statement that the mission statements on the back wall of our foyer helping people say yes to Jesus yes in the sense of coming to personal faith in Christ but not just that saying yes to Jesus regardless of what he asks us to do regardless of where he sends us where he wants us to go every day every way that we're saying yes here I am ready to serve amen